Thanks, Chris. I love those songs this morning, Tristan. They were great songs. And the last one, um, Weak Made Strong in the Saviour's Love, just reminded me of this tension that occurs around Easter time. Um, and it just brought it back to mind. It's something I heard years ago, I think, um, that the lion, because that's one of Jesus' titles, Lion of the Tribe of Judah, became the lamb so that we who were weak and were in fact dead in our sin could become more than conquerors. That the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could become sons and children of God. That he who was without sin became sin so that we whose sins were like scarlet become could become white as snow. And I don't know, maybe you, you know, you've never realized that Jesus has done that for you and you've never accepted the fact that he's done it for you, but he has. And it's just a matter of time until you realize that he has. And um, it's something, you know, I, I, I love Easter because, you know, the ending's been spoiled for me. I know what happens. But, you know, it, it is what the gospel message is all about. Um, I'm sure most of you are aware I actually don't like being up here. And the only, the only thing that sort of makes it a little bit easier is we get a fair bit of time to sort of think about, I like to stew about what I'm, what I'm going to talk about. And so I had about six weeks and I had a message planned out. I was actually going to talk about being a social influencer based in Book of Daniel and um, had it all sorted. And then last Sunday or Saturday, I made the mistake of sitting down in front of the TV and this ad came on. And it said, 14 days till, and I thought he was going to say, 14 days till Easter, 14 days until chocolate. And I was sort of a bit let down, but I was, my hackles were up a little bit. And not that I don't like chocolate. I like chocolate. Um, but it reminded me of a sermon that um, a fellow that's preached here, John Morgan, had preached once um, and had a lot to do with honour. And after that, I just couldn't get the rest of that, the previous message sorted out. So I had to start from scratch. So this is like, um, I've only been thinking about this for a couple of days. So this is sort of like based on a John Morgan sermon. So I'll call it John Morgan Light. Not as funny, but half as long. So we'll, so I'd um, just like to pray because, it, it, yeah, it's, it's all a bit of a jumble. Father, we just thank you for everything. We thank you for our lives. We thank you for the fact that you have a purpose for our lives. We thank you that you cared enough and loved us enough individually to send your son for us. Um, Father, I pray we can just respond the way you want us to respond to that um, amazing grace and love that you've given each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, or tomorrow, depending on how you view your week, marks the beginning of Lent or some people refer to it as the Passion Week. It's that week leading up till Easter. And I think it's just worthwhile noting that um, Jesus was clearly aware by this time all that was, he was going to go um, and participate in. Um, there's at least two re um, records in, in Matthew, I think chapter 16 and chapter 20, where 
Jesus actually tells his disciples, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to go through, and then this is going to be the outcome. And yet, we don't have time, but if you look sort of past the crucifixion, the disciples clearly had not remembered any of that. And um, so consequently, you know, they were down, downhearted, they were scattered, they were fearful, um, and they thought all had been lost. And um, I just think it's just, a w- it's not to do with the message, but it's just a, a worthy reminder that God's not in the habit of uh, leaving us in the dark concerning uh, what his will is. You know, he doesn't necessarily spell out everything for us, but um, there's enough information there that uh, he reveals enough so that um, we can know that we're not being abandoned, that he, you know, he's going through whatever we're going through. And I've shared this before, but when we moved from Tasmania up to here, um, we got, well, Del got a very clear word about the process that was going to happen, that it, it was going to be a step-by-step process. We are starting a business, and I just thought, oh, well, we'll get into the business. It'll run, and everything will be great. But God had spoken to Adele, and fortunately, my wife journals, so she had it there in black and white, that there were going to be battles. And so when those battles come along, and you can look back and say, well, God said that this was the way it was going to be, um, it's, it's comforting. Anyway. That's what I'm talking about, and I better move. Um, so the week begins, the Passion Week or the week of Lent begins with Jesus outside the city of Bethphage, and he sends his, we can put that first verse up if you like, he sends a couple of his disciples to go and get a, um, a mule and a colt. Some versions just say a, a mule, I think, but I like the idea of a mule and a colt because if Jesus is coming in, to town, he may as well do one of those circus things, you know, with one on each. Why would you need two otherwise? I can't work it out, but I like that. I like that image. Um, and honour is high. The people are all throwing palm branches down. Um, they're spreading their cloaks on the road. They're saying things like, Hosanna to the son of David. You know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And... Um, And that all, sound, all sounds pretty good. And I think partly that's because I thought Jesus was going to sort of run a revolution and kick the Romans out and, um, you know, restore everything to the way they thought it was going to be done. But then he goes into the temple. And um, this is one of the few times where we see Jesus absolutely lose it. Um, you know, most times when... Jesus is disappointed with the action of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. You know, he'll come up to his um, disciples and he'll say something like, you know, verily I say unto you, don't be like these Sadducees or Pharisees who are like whitewashed tombs, you know, full of dead men's bones and all things unclean, you know. But this time, he, he didn't use words. Um, in, in the book of John, it says he actually made a cord, a whip out of cords and, and basically beat them out of the temple. And I don't know if you understand the, the, what those people were doing in the temple, but the, um, the money changes, they were sort of like the Western Union or the PayPal of the day. What they would do is that because the, um, the Jews um, would put an offering in, 
they actually had a, a stipulation that had to be in their coin. So it's in the Jewish shekel or something like that. And yet all these people were coming um, to Jerusalem for the Passover, sort of like people coming from Sydney at Easter time to the bay. So there was all sorts of currencies coming in and they needed someone to change them over. In the same way, they had the uh, people selling doves and, and livestock. That wasn't... That, um, those animals were down for sacrifice as an act of worship. So it wasn't like they were buying sheep to go home and have a roast or anything like that. They were basically dumbing down people's act of worship. They were saying... The idea was that as a, as a worshipper, you would get an animal from your flock, one without blemish. You'd have to tie a rope to it, bring it to the temple, offer it to the priest. He would make the sacrifice. But it's all a bit difficult, especially if you're traveling and you've got kids in the back. You don't want the lamb there as well. So these Western Union PayPal people and the, and the livestock traders, they were saying, well, just bring some ready cash when you get to the temple we'll have the animal already there it's much easier so as i said what in fact they were doing was dumbing down people's worship it wasn't a sacrifice it wasn't a sacrifice if all you had to do was throw a few coins in your pocket and head to the temple so have you ever thought about why jesus reaction was so strong especially at this time you know john chapter 2 says something like you know his disciples remember that his written zeal for your house will consume me meaning that it was already written that jesus had a thing for his father's house but i'd suggest given the timing jesus is looking at these people and going if you treat the symbolic sacrifice with such disregard what will you do with mine? Well, it's clear what we've done with his sacrifice. We've used it as an excuse to indulge in chocolate. Uh, that's unfair because I have fond memories of Easter chocolate. We had a Darley marshmallow-filled egg every year. I still remember it. But, it's true to say that as a nation and as individuals, we've lost so much regard for what God has done, especially through Jesus' sacrifice that we celebrated Easter. And we've moved a long way from the land that, um, I don't know whether you're aware, the, the Portuguese guy, Pedro, whatever, whatever, de Quiros termed us, Terra Australis Espirito Sentius, great south land of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we come, become from being a country that in the first line of our constitution it says, we the people, and it lists the states and it says, humbly relying on the blessings of Almighty God, get to the point where we actually have a state that's tabled a bill that's making it illegal for us to pray for people. How do we get there? How do we get from the point of honour where it's Hosanna to the son of David, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him, crucify him. And 
the truth is, we get there very relatively easily. Now, we find examples of what I'll call sort of erosion of honour all the way through the Bible. You know, you can start right at the beginning of Genesis and look at Adam and Eve and how they were walking intimately with God and by the end of that period, they were basically cast out. You, you can look at Moses who was talking with God and getting the commandments and by the end of it, the, um, the Israelites were sick of him. They wanted another God. So, how do we get there? Well, first of all, what is what is what is what is honour, and how do how do we lose it? Um, they did a quick look in the, in the concordance, and the Old Testament word for honour is kabad or kabod, and it may sort of relates to weight, to give weight to something, to, you know, to to make it a priority or an imperative. And the New Testament is very similar to mayo. It sort of means to fix a value, to revere, or to regard something. You may not realise this, but those of you that have undertaken to dedicate your children today are honouring God and your children, actually. You know, by your actions, you're giving weight to the priorities that God gives weight to. And um, by inviting God into the raising and the care of your children, you demonstrate the regard and the love you have for them. And that's, that's actually an indication of honour. You know, we don't value honour anywhere near as highly as God values it, and particularly our Western culture. I have to confess that on more than one occasion I've been heard to refer to our Prime Minister as ScoMo. Not that honour is wrapped up in words, necessarily. Um, it, in fact, it does come, must come from the heart. But, you know, our whole media culture, the way our society um, honours and, es and esteems, it's quite low. Um, I'm not sure whether it comes from our convict heritage or not. Um, Adele and I, we subscribe to ACL and um, Martin Niles, who's the president of ACL, did a, he does a blog every week and he was doing one recently on Megan and Harry and the fact that they uh, had an interview um, with Oprah. And whether you think that they're right or justified in, you know, the fact that they've left the royal family and are doing their own thing, whether you think that the royal family's been hard on them, it's very dishonouring to air your dirty laundry on commercial TV for money. And that's what his, his argument was about. And he was saying, you know, there's a consequence for dishonouring your parents. God values honour highly. Here's a contentious point which I tested on Adele who responded with, don't say that. <laughs> I'm going to suggest... <laughs> I'm not dishonouring her. I'm just going to suggest that the Ten Commandments are ranked in order of importance. So, and I'll, I'll back this up by saying that... at the when Jesus, when he was asked what's the most important commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself is the second. The rest of the law hangs on these. The first four Ten Commandments are all about God and so that's the part about loving him. 
the next six are about our fellow, our neighbours. So at least in the two sections, they're ranked according to Jesus. Then if you go into the ones about our neighbours and um, how we treat other people, if you look from six down, you've got murder, adultery, stealing, lying, coveting. But honour is above murder. And you think, we don't go to prison for life for dishonouring somebody. In the Old Testament, this is my argument, so I'm going to stick with it. At the end of Genesis, and Jacob's on his deathbed, and he, so he's like the patriarch of the tribes of Israel. So each of his 12 sons became a tribe effectively. And Reuben had done the dirty on Jacob. He'd actually slept with Jacob's concubine and dishonoured his father. And as I'll point out, not much was actually said about that at the time. But when Jacob was getting ready to dish out his inheritance, Reuben, the firstborn, should have got a double inheritance. He said, no, you dishonoured me. You don't get it. Simeon and Levi, the next two oldest, they actually went and essentially slaughtered a whole village to, because someone from that village had defiled their sister. And Jacob had picked up on the fact that they'd done that and said, you know, you're, you're vengeful and, and you know, you're going to live by the sword. But they didn't lose their inheritance. So at least according to Jacob, he saw that ranking. Dishonouring came above murder. Regardless of whether I've convinced you or not. In Ephesians, Paul said, Honour your father and mother, which, it is, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may live and enjoy a long life. So how do we lose it? How do we lose honour for something or someone? And what's the end result? To be honest, it's a stepwise process mostly. You don't go from loving, adoring, having complete regard to um, the end result being division in one step. It's generally a sliding process. In a relationship, honour is the highest regard and commitment. We call that marriage. And I'd put that in brackets the early years. <laughs> unless we keep attention and keep stoking. But you can remember when you're first dating and when you're first married and I was going to say you bring your wife flowers all the time, but I didn't do that even then, did I? Sorry. <laughs> but if you don't stoke that, that relationship, you slip into familiarity. And familiarity gives you permission to do and say things that you would never have done when you're in that um, sweet spot, you know, when you're dating, when you're, you know, maybe it's the way to refer to your spouse or partner, the language you use when you're talking with them. It might even be bodily noises. <laughs> what are you thinking, Chris? I'm just saying that they're all things about um, slipping into familiarity. And if we don't arrest familiarity, we're going to contempt. That's unspoken judgment. Yeah. 
We never farted when we were dating. That's disgusting. And of course, if you don't arrest contempt, you go to dishonor. And we're, I found this really interesting, and this is not my thought, this is a John Morgan thought, but we're built for worship. So when you dishonor, you don't, it's not a lack of honor. You actually, it's a redirection. So you're going to honor something. So if you get to that point where you, um, you're, you're full of contempt and you're thinking, that's disgusting, you slip to dishonor, it's like, well, they don't do that. And you start redirecting your honor. And if you don't arrest that, ends in division, which is in a marriage situation, divorce. It's the same in the church. We're not as high, you know, we're new believers, we're passionate, we're pressing in, we're leaning into worship, we get here early, we leave late, we're on every roster. But then familiarity might kick in. We give ourselves permission to come in a little late. Maybe, you know, we don't quite, don't worship with the songs that we don't like, we only sort of lean in with the songs that we do like. And then if we don't see those signs and we, and address them, we fall into contempt, unspoken judgment. Surely we can find someone better to deliver a message than that. I can't believe that person got up there with bare feet and they allowed him to stand up on the stage. The sound's too loud. I, I don't even have to go too far down here. I know most of you have thought one or more of these because I picked them out of my own brain, so there you go. And then if we don't arrest that, dishonor kicks in. Church down the road has better worship. They don't run the music at 100 dB. <laughs> then we gather like-minded people around us and division raises its head and we leave. And we've got five minutes to talk how it relates to everything else. So, but we can see it in the life of Jesus. You know, um, Jesus' early ministry, he returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is in uh, Luke chapter 4. And news about him spread. Um, he's teaching in the synagogues. Everyone's praising him, honours high. So he goes into Nazareth, that's where he's a local. And he picks up the book of Isaiah or the scroll and he reads from it. And he puts it down and they're all sort of leaning in. They're all waiting. He says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, were amazed at his gracious words that come from his mouth. Then they start thinking, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the guy down the road whose mother says she's a virgin? What do you think they're thinking? You think <laughs> and Jesus said to them, because he knows what they're thinking. Surely you'll quote this problem proverb for me physician heal yourself and you'll tell me do here in your hometown what we heard you do in Capernaum so they so he so he'd already picked up that they were in contempt because they've got this unspoken judgment going on and he he talks about Elijah and this hit that Elijah had the same issues and he says I tell you no prophet is accepted in his hometown then all the people became furious well there's dishonor right there and then they take him to the edge of a cliff and ready to push him off. I call that division. When honour is high, power is high. There's a story in uh, the book of Matthew in chapter 8 about the centurion. And it's actually generally given as a, um, an example of great faith. Great faith caused 
this centurion um, to go and see Jesus and ask Jesus to heal his servant. Jesus said, well, do you want me to come? He said, no, you don't need to. In fact, what it actually says is, um, I, don't deserve you to have, I don't deserve to have you under my roof. So his honour was extremely high. He said, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. I know the position that you hold. Just say the word and he'll be healed. Conversely, when honour is low, power is low. And we've already seen what happens when familiarity kicks in, when Jesus was preaching in the synagogue in Nazareth. Um, well, in fact, there's verses right through that, the ministry in his hometown where he actually, he, um, he hardly did any miracles. But there's, there's a, a verse, a chapter, um, well, some verses in Luke chapter 5, and it's the one where the friends take the, um, paraplegic and the the place is so crowded and I didn't even realize until I had a good read of this that it's actually teachers it's full of teachers and Pharisees and Sadducees and so and and it says quite clearly the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick but there's no mention of anyone getting healed except for the guy that gets lowered in and it's and they said the place was packed so law of averages says that there's going to be a couple of people there that need healing. But these people were grumbling at the fact that Jesus was saying, I can forgive your sins. And, it, and while he forgave the sins of the, para, um, the paraplegic and healed him, the fact that they had contempt in their hearts disabled the power for him to heal them. Lack of honour can hold back blessing. So, we are at 10.30. A couple of points about how to arrest the slide. Guard against entitlement, which is really the first sign of familiarity. You know, our stance needs to be one of, I'm so fortunate to be in this position. And that can mean I'm so fortunate to be married to the person that I am. It can mean I'm so fortunate to know God and be known by God. And perhaps we get a bit slack in one of these areas. We just need to remind ourselves how lucky we are. Guard against entitlement. You know, I, what I use, especially when it comes to spiritual things, is I, many years ago, asked God to reveal his love to me, and he did. And I just remind myself of that. It's amazing. Second point, make time. Honour is about relationships, and relationships take work. If you want to be people that honour, well, we need to invest time. Once again, that's across all forms of relationships. And I, I dug this out. I, I've had it for a while, and it, the survey is actually about 10 years old, and I've probably had it for about five years. If the average life expectancy of a person is 78, over that time, we will spend on average 230,000 hours sleeping. 100,000 hours on TV and internet. I'd suggest that's gone up a lot in the last 10 years. 90,000 hours working, 38,000 hours driving, 
32,000 hours eating, 10,000 hours cleaning. It doesn't, it does actually have a split between the sexes of that last one, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to elaborate. And if you attended church every week from the age of five till the time you died and didn't miss a week, then you would have spent 7,592 hours with God if that was your total commitment. Some estimates put the fact that you spent more time on the toilet. We need to invest time. And finally, we need to be people of appreciation. Let's tell the people around us how much they mean to us. Let's tell God we love and honour Him more often. Let's show God that we love and honour Him more often.